Thanks for tuning in to the Lean 911 podcast where you'll have a voice directly from the Gemba. I will rely on my three decades of lean successes as well as my failures to answer your most challenging questions regarding your lean transformation. I'm your host, Mark Deluzio, President and CEO of Lean Horizons Consulting and the Principal Architect of the Danaher Business System. Looking forward to your questions now. Let's go to the Gemba. Hi, Mark Deluzio here. Uh, Welcome to episode number 22. And this is going to be part five of my problem solving series, which uh, this one's called Types of Problems. And uh, I said earlier that there were going to be five parts to this problem solving series, and there may be more in the future. Well, there will be another one. There'll be a part six coming up uh, after this one. But uh, anyway, this one here, I want to talk about types of problems. And before I do that, uh, by the way, we're a little bit behind on our on our podcast. I was in India for two weeks. It's my fourth time this year being there, and we've got a great client over there that we're working with. And uh, it's, I love going there. People are great. And these guys really want to get better. And uh, it's so much fun to work with them and, and see their enthusiasm. Every time we leave, they're more excited than we we when we got there. So anyway, we're a little bit behind on our posting. So this one here should have been the November 1st uh, podcast. And it's going to be up a little bit late, but we'll get back on track on the on the 15th. We post every 1st and 15th of the month. So uh, we'll get back on track because tonight I'm going to be doing a bunch of them in batch. I know that's bad for a lean guy to say I'm going to do batch, but uh, maybe I'll change my shirt so that everybody who's watching thinks that I'm actually doing them at a different time. So they think I'm practicing one piece flow. But uh, anyway, um, but anyway, let's talk about types of problems. Now, before I get into the types of problems, I want to tell you a story. I was at a potential client. uh, Well, I guess it was a client, which I ended up deciding not to work with. Uh, And we're at this company. It was in St. Louis. It was a chemical company. and, uh, And the CEO was a chemical engineer. And he could not understand why all these different mistakes were being made. And uh, his people were making all kinds of mistakes and, and, you know, they're dealing with chemicals. So it's kind of a big deal. And uh, by the way, they had unbelievable safety violations at this company uh, in so many different aspects, but that's another story for another day. So we got, he wanted me to address his, his team. There were about 30 people in the room, all good people. I got to talk to them and all these people wanted to do the right thing. Right. And uh, he stood up in front of them and says, how can I get these people to engage right in front of them? And and how is it that they keep making all of these mistakes? Now, he had no standards established anywhere, okay? And he was complaining at this point about mixing chemical A with chemical B, and everybody should know that those two chemicals can't be near each other and, and all this, right? So so I asked first asked the question, well, how many people here are chemical engineers? Like, uh, let's just call him Charlie. Uh, wasn't his name, but... And uh, only three people out of the 30 raised their hands. Okay. Uh, How many people know that that chemical can't be mixed with that chemical? And uh, (laughs) believe it or not, two of the three engineers raised their hand, (laughs) uh, which is kind of scary. So I looked at the CEO. And at this point, once he did that, I said, I'm not working with this idiot. Okay. 
sorry, you know, I've got my standards and uh, I felt bad for the people there because they're good people. But I looked at him right in front of these 30 people and I said, how do you know they made a mistake? Well, it's obvious. You should, everybody should know. Yeah, but I, I want to know, how do you know they made a mistake? And he says, well, it's obvious. I mean, anybody would know that you don't mix A with B and you don't do this and you don't put this over here. And he went on all the different mistakes that are continually being made in this company. I said, well, do you have a standard that you're comparing their performance against? Uh, you know, do you have a, a any kind of document that says, here's the policy, here's the standard? Well, no, I mean, we, we should, you know, people should know better. I said, well, look, if, if you don't, if you don't have a standard, then you cannot sit there and say they made a mistake. You cannot do that, okay? Because it's your opinion now. And I know you're a chemical engineer, except for, you know, you want to make it so foolproof, and this stuff is kind of dangerous. You want to make it so pokey-oaked, if you will, that you can't make a mistake. And that's what process improvement is all about, building quality into the process, not fixing it after the fact. And so this guy didn't get it, right? He wrote me some nasty emails afterwards. And anyway, I he didn't want to pay me, which I basically ended up getting paid. So, um, but, you know, I just wanted to tell you that story because how many times in, you know, your experience have you heard somebody say, well, that guy really screwed up. And I want to go back to what Deming said. Deming said, you know, I think he came up with a number like 94% of a company's problems are system problems, or what he really meant was is, was pro, uh, process problems. And so there's a big difference with interrogating the process as opposed to, you know, interrogating the person. You know, hey, Charlie, why did you make a mistake? What's wrong with you? You've been here for 20 years. You should know better. Or, hey, Charlie, um, I shouldn't use Charlie because that was the name I assigned to him. But hey, Bill, um, you know, you've been here for 20 years and how could you make that mistake? What's wrong with you? Right now it's personal. He's defensive. Or, hey, Bill, look, you got 20 years experience on this process. This process isn't working. I need your help and your experience to help, you know, get on a Kaizen team, let's say, and and actually make this process better. What do you think? Because we're not going to let this process do this to us again. That's a whole different conversation. Right. So anyway. I thought I'd start with that because it ties back into problem solving, creating standards, uh, and, and performing to the standard, which again leads me into the three types of problems. Now, these are my views on types of problems. You know, I think there's a lot of literature out there and some of the academics probably want to make it a lot more complicated than it needs to be. But I look at problems one of three ways. One. I call it a type zero problem. And I use the word zero or the number zero because it's zero. That basically means no standard exists. So that's why I use zero, okay? You got a type zero problem if you don't have a standard, okay? Now, down the line, I'm going to be doing a, a episode on my 10 rules of a process, which you can argue are standards, right? And the first rule of the 10 rules that I have is if it's not documented, you're not allowed to call it a process because, you know, if it's in your head and somebody else's head in my head, we got at least three versions of that 
quote unquote process. So you can't call it a process, right? So there'll be more on that later. But keep in mind, though, that just because it's documented does not mean you have a process because there are nine more rules that you have to think about as you go through. All right. But the one that, that first rule is kind of like Monopoly. You know, you cannot pass go. You cannot collect your $200. Um, and so do you have a process? So, so many times you walk into a company and they say, Hey, we got to solve this issue. Well, show me the standard, show me the process. Well, you know, we don't have one. And how many, how many people out there have done process mapping or value stream mapping and you get, you know, all the constituencies in a room and they argue about how something works. You know, that's not, that's not what happens over there. Yeah, it does. I do it every day. I didn't know that. Well, geez, I didn't know you needed this. You know, I, you didn't talk to me, you know? So this goes back into value stream management and all that other stuff. Right. But, but, you know, when you look, when you look at many times, Companies as a whole just don't know how their company works. They may know their little area, but they don't have a good picture of how it all ties in together. And this goes back into a discussion I've had uh, in other episodes, and you know, and I'll talk more about it later. Is is you can't create great functions. You know, if you try to if you try to optimize a function, you'll sub optimize the enterprise, right? So everybody's in a little space, doing the best they can, all with great intent but they're not looking at the big picture. So you get all these arguments and debates when you put do a value stream map or when you do a, uh, a more detailed process map. And, uh, but at the end of the day, you got to ask yourself when you have a problem, what type of problem it is. Is it a type zero problem? I don't have a standard. Okay. And I'll talk more about that later in terms of what you need to do about it. A type one standard would be a standard does exist. It's documented, you know, and, and I've got some rules in terms of uh, the merits of documenting something in words versus visually. You know, I used to work for Lego and uh, the instructions we gave in the Lego kits were universal. Whether you're in Japan, Saudi Arabia, America, India, it doesn't matter where you are. They can put Lego together off the same set of instructions because it's all pictures. Right. And we actually have an exercise that talks about how quickly you can put a little Lego model together versus somebody doing it, you know, based on words. Okay. So, but anyway, do we have a standard? Yes, we do have a standard. So it's a type one problem, but it's, but it's not being followed. Okay. And we'll talk more about maybe why, why isn't it being followed a little bit later? So I have a standard, it's not being followed, or that's a type one problem. So a type two problem would be, I have a standard, but it doesn't give me the the sustainable results that we intended with this particular standard or with this particular process, right? So, so a standard exists, but let's just call it maybe it's a bad standard and it needs to be improved. So type zero, just a review. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to share my screen and show you this. I've got it on a slide for people who are watching on, on video. Uh, let me share my screen for a minute. And, you know, as, as, as you start looking at, at these problems, it really is helpful for you to understand what exactly are these, uh, the, these, these types of problems. And it helps you think through, you know, what it is, what, you know, what course of action you're going to need. All right. So 
anyway, let me share this screen with you a little bit here if you are watching. And all I'm doing here is just kind of putting a slide up that says uh, that says uh, type one, type zero, one, two, and three standards. It's just a little visual for you to look at here. Okay. And again, type zero, no standard exists. Type one, standard exists, but it's not being followed. And uh, type two problems are standard exists, but it's a poor standard. All right. Asking yourself that upfront is really key. Why is it key? Well, if you have a type zero, you know, problem where no standard exists, that sort of suggests you have to do a Kaizen and actually create the standard, right? Because it doesn't exist. And you're going to find that, you know, if you've got 10 people in a room, you might end up with 20 different versions of how that process is being put together. A type one problem is, is interesting because this is where the hidden factory kind of comes in, right? And the things that happen around the standard that nobody knows about. And remember, I've always contended, and I talked about this in an early episode with problem solving, that solving problems at the lowest level, your best consultants are your operators and people closest doing the work, right? The further you get away from people who are actually doing the work, the less likely the quality of the solution. So that's why I don't like, you know, executives doing what I call conference room, boardroom Kaizen, where they're trying to solve a problem when they're not only, you know, five or six levels removed, but sometimes five or 6,000 miles away. So, so, you know, and, and remember my friend, John Shook uh, told me that Toyota had a policy when he worked there that said that if you have not observed a problem, you are not allowed to opine on it. You have to personally observe the issue, the problem Okay, at hand. Uh, I thought that was interesting. How many meetings would you guys get out of if uh, you followed that doctrine? So, so, so now you've got a standard, you know, type one problem. You've got a standard, but it's not being followed. Well, now you got to ask yourself why. Why isn't it being followed? And there's a number of different reasons why it may not be followed. One might be the people who created the standard weren't the people who have to use it. And we'd involve, let's say, operators or, or the users of the standard. So now this standard is being forced upon them. And I don't, Give a darn if you come up with the most elegant, perfect standard process, whatever you want to call it. If you're not involving the people who have to use it, it will be rejected because you didn't get their buy-in. It doesn't matter how good it is. You can cure cancer and they'll reject it if you don't bring them in, into the process. Okay. So, so that's an important part, right? And by the way, the quality of the standard is going to be so much better when you get the people who know what's going on. And again, those are the people on the line that really know what's going on. And I think I told you about a story in the solving problems at the lowest level episode uh, where I went to England and, and they weren't involving the operators. And it was the operators that solved this particular unbelievably nagging problem that they had. I had to fly all the way to England to just ask the dumb question. Did you involve the operators? Right. So anyway, so it could be that you didn't involve the operators and they're not buying into the standard. Okay. Or it could be that the, the people who created the standard did not consider you know, everything that they needed to know to do this uh, particular job or process or whatever. And it is a bad standard, okay? Which me, brings you to a type two standard. Or it could be just standard discipline. Many companies I've walked into, you know, just don't have the fundamental discipline 
to do what you need to do to adhere to a standard. And, and, and this is where it sort of verges in on daily management. And are we able to sustain and have the discipline of following the things we say we need to follow? You know, even something as simple as drawing a yellow line on the ground and then putting a skid on the yellow line, we just broke our standard, all right? And that sends messages all over the place that standards don't really matter. If you like the chemical CEO, yeah, unless something really happens that's catastrophic, then it's a big deal, and then he'll call you on the carpet on it. But if things go right, he doesn't care, all right? So we even when things go right, if we're not following the standard, we should call that to the to the to the you know bring that to the to the forefront and find out why isn't the standard being followed okay so there's a lot of issues here and there's probably more but this is again where you're going to get the hidden factory and you're going to get the 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 people who you know uh work around your standard and when i say your standard because you'd involve them right okay that's that's and and by the way you have not put a system in to detect abnormalities from the standard so that it's at a glance and it's visual, right? That's another part of my of my 10 steps, uh, 10 rules of a, of a process is uh, can we easily detect when the standard's not being followed? And then that leads us, of course, to uh, the last, uh, last uh, type of problems, type two, which is, the standard exists, but it's just not a robust standard. It's just not going to get you to where you need to be. And again, a lot of times that does happen because we didn't bother the right people in putting the standard together. Okay. So it's important for you. To, and, and what would you do in that case? Well, what would you do is you, you do Kaizen on that standard to make it better. You know, if, if it's process mapping, you do the as is and to be or value stream, the current state versus the future state. Right. And understand what it is we need to do. And, and maybe you have to do Kaizen on one part of the process. You, you know, you got to look at this and I wouldn't recommend whacking in a bunch of value stream maps every time and, and process maps. These are all diagnostic tools. You may look at a standard and find out that not, you know, 90% of the issue in the process that you created is in one part of the process. And maybe that's where you have to focus your problem statement and go after that particular part and aspect of the, of the of the process okay so and by the way i'm using process and standards as interchangeable here so i hope hope you, you caught on to that but anyway uh we need to up our game in the standard now every standard that we create will be imperfect right and one of the things of course and one of the rules of kaizen that i talked about in one of the previous episodes is you can't let perfect get in the way of better a lot of times we we go into stagnation in getting that last 5% covered in a particular process and nothing changes. And then you lose steam. I'd rather have 70% of the issue solved with a standard and then continue Kaizen going forward to move towards 100. But waiting is probably the biggest waste. And that is one of the seven owner wastes, right? Waiting. And it's not only based on inventory or processing a document. It's things like, like this, where you just hold off because you're trying to be perfect, uh, you got to realize you never will be, all right? If you believe in continuous improvement, there's this notion of perfection that we're always going to try to go after. However, we'll never reach there, right? And we've got to continue to evolve. So 
anyway, I thought I'd just throw this out there, you know, the, the three types of problems. I found it very helpful to think about what problem, what type of problem I have before I start looking at, you know, a problem definition or uh, being more specific about problem solving, because it will lead you to a proper course of action if you understand the animal that you're trying to trying to trying to, to trying to improve. Okay, and so again, type zero, one, and two. So I'll stop there. Uh, our next, uh, our next one, uh, our next problem solving uh, problem episode will be uh, episode twenty three, which I'm going to record next, uh, and it's about challenging the status quo, and to take a line out of Ronald Reagan: trust but verify. Okay, and I'll talk more about that in the following episode. So anyway. Mark Deluzio, thank you for listening. Episode 22. And we're going to get this one up as fast as we can and uh, get get us back on track because I am, my on-time delivery is in the red zone. And that's not good for a lean guy to have that happen. So anyway, thank you. Any questions, please uh, email me at mark, M-A-R-K, at lean911.com. Mark at lean911.com. I just did a a podcast in uh, in Australia, and I learned that they don't use nine one one over there. They use zero zero zero. So uh, if you're in Australia watching this, uh, it's still lean nine one one. Okay. So, uh, but anyway, uh, all my friends in Australia. Uh, anyway, talk to you soon. See you next time. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Lean Nine One One podcast. I'll be happy to address your questions or feedback on future episodes. Email me at mark at lean911.com. You can check out our other episodes by visiting our website at lean911.com, our YouTube channel, wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your host, Mark Deluzio. Thanks for listening.